0: Coming to you
1: via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio
0: show. The show
1: with a host that is such a big ass he had to go to a dairy farm to get a colonoscopy. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, reminding you, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this fine show. And in fact, this week, boy, have we got a bonus-sized, unique episode because... uh, About ten days ago, I was the guest of the Virtual Pipe Club, which gathers through Zoom and uh, YouTube and Facebook Live and a couple other places, and I talked about my uh, Disney Tabakiana Collection, which is uh, available for viewing on Facebook. Just search Disney Tabakiana Collection there. Uh, And then the next, uh, after that first hour, the second hour was uh, turned into the second two and three hours. Uh, it was just me taking questions from uh, from the attendees of the Virtual Pipe Club. So you get a uh, bonus-sized, edited-down question and Q&A time with me live that I did. If you want to, you can go back to the Virtual Pipe Club on uh, YouTube, and you can see the entire... I believe it's uh, almost 3 hours of my visit is available there so you can watch that and see the uh, see me talk Disney pipes and then see the unedited portion of the uh of the Q&A which also included a uh, a surprise visit by pipe maker Chris Morgan which was fun to hang out with him so you get you can hear that if you want to go back on to uh, youtube.com and look up Virtual Pipe Club and uh, in fact while you're there look at all the other stuff they've done so anyway this week is just going to be that Q&A in all three segments no pipe parts uh, it went so long there's not going to be any music but I will have mailbag and a rant and the rant will be related to my most recent trip so all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show and uh before i forget uh if you could go over to itunes or apple podcasts and leave a rating and a review also we are available on amazon on amazon podcasts so anywhere where you can rate or review it please do it all right let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back relax fire up a bowl thank you all for tuning in and here we go
2: There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com.
1: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is a lot of people. Why? Because... There's a great group of people. It's the Virtual Pipe Club, started by David Dorian Ross. I, I'm, I'm assuming you started it because you're the you seem like the El Jefe organizer, right? I, I'm just the guy who knows a guy or two. Okay, um, but so this is recorded on a Saturday afternoon while I just got done presenting uh, presenting about the Disney Pipe Collection, which all of you that listen to the show have heard way too much about, probably. Uh, but anyway, so what I, what I'm doing now is opening this up to a Q and a, they ask questions. I give them answers, no <laughs> holes barred, nothing limited, no holding back. I will give you honest answers and no, so no question is silly or stupid. So go ahead and ask away who wants to start first and don't worry if there's gaps or anything. Cause I've got the power to edit and I can also make you all sound like Mickey mouse. If I want to. <laughs>
2: Ryan, I'll go ahead questioned. and start it off. Oh,
0: never mind. Uh,
2: this is Todd out in uh, Silicon Valley, California. Yes, sir. Uh, saw the pipes. You held one up. Um, I think mm-hmm. you. It was a Kamoi. I think from 1971. Is that what you believe it to be?
1: The uh, the paneled the paneled apple.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: now. How many of your
2: pipes do you think are maybe Kamoi? And this is a part I don't have any Kamoi pipes, and I know they've changed hands. I don't know about <laughs> factories. Yeah. When was the heyday? When was the the golden era of
1: of the Kamois? And is that one of them from 1971? So no, this isn't. Um, the golden era of Kamois breaks down into. So I don't know how to say this the kind way, except for the Cadogan Oppenheimer company came along and bought up a lot of brands. Uh, At the end of their company, really, they owned and they may still own Sassini, uh, Barling, Kamoys, Those are the bigger brands. And what they do is they'd buy these family businesses and bring them all into one and merge them. And they'd started doing this in the 60s and into the 70s. So with Kamois there is a transition time and what you want to look for with a with what is a top quality Kamois the letter C on the stem is going to be drilled in what's called a three-part C. So they drill a big hole insert a white dot or white rod in there and make a big circle and I'm I'm doing this on the camera so that everybody can see and it's Probably virtually useless because it's so small. Um, but they'd make a big dot. They'd drill that big dot. And then they'd come back and take a drill and do a smaller dot right through the middle and put black in there. So now you had a an O with, with a, a, a white O with a block of black in it. And then after that, they'd come back and they'd punch out the C portion and put in another black. So you can look at it under a under a loop or a magnifying glass, and it will be, it'll have three parts to the process, and you can see all three of them. If you find a Kamois that has a three part C, I will say that it is as good of a smoker as any Sassini, Barling, or Dunhill of its era. Uh, if you find a Kamois blue riband or a, a specimen straight grain or uh what was the the line right below blue riband um those pipes were actually priced higher than dunhill at that time on the market and they are really good quality smoking pipes that in this day and age only the really super examples really draw any kind of money um unfortunately none of these that i've yeah again uh, all the disney pipes were basket pipe seconds this one's got one two three fills in it and a bald spot that looks like it could be a cue ball i mean there is no grain on that on that side at all so you know again these these weren't These weren't pretty because Disney wasn't paying pretty money for them. But, yeah, look for the, uh, with Kamoys, look for that three-part drilled C in it. And that will tell you right away if it's what I consider to be the old classic era. Um, If you just see a stamped C, like the heat stamps, um, like I showed you with some of the Disney logos, then that's not going to be one of the greatest pipes ever. Um And unfortunately, the same thing happened with Barling and Sassini. Uh, Barling, when you get to the four-digit shape codes, you've gone awry, go back to the threes. Sassini, when you get to the shape numbers instead of the, you know, all their shape names were cities in England or in the United Kingdom. uh, Then you know you're in a good Sassini period when you have shape names. If you have shape numbers... You're into the uh, Cadogan Oppenheimer era and you're in the what became a race to the bottom for the lowest prices possible. Uh, but, yeah, did that answer that long winded question. Yeah, yeah. And just real quick, the, the, the other Brent, did I hear you say Medico was one of them? Uh, Medico and Kay Woody and SM Frank were selling pipes to Disneyland and Disney World I have a couple of pipes that I think might have been made there but I don't have any confirmation that they actually stamped Disney on them they were just selling traditional Medicos and yellow bowls there
2: and they were all as you said basket pipes you know standard
1: yeah, yeah standard pipe that you might find you know Uh, picture this uh you know uh medico medico pipe smoker is on a three-day trip with his family and he goes to disneyland and breaks his pipe well disneyland had pipes to sell you that were just medicos um it's kind of like they also sold shoelaces which was one of the things that you know non-disney related shoelaces you could actually go there if you broke your shoelaces you could buy new shoelaces um At one point, I think we had pantyhose for sale that were just legs pantyhose. I don't know why I know that, except it's just some of the odd stuff that we sold occasionally. Pantyhose, bras. The Wizard of Bras, yeah. For those listening on the podcast, email me. I'll tell you about Wizard of Bras at Disneyland. No thongs? (laughs) Not back then, no. Mm -mm.
0: Brian. Yes, sir. Uh, good evening from uh, Bonnie Scotland. You, you wanted some uh, input from uh, the other side of the pond, so here we are. Yeah. Um, my my question is tobacco related. Uh-huh. Uh Boris, who's in the meeting, uh, who's in Helsinki? Um, we've had a wee exchange of tobaccos back and forward. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I sent him some uh, sunbear, um which. You know, guys on the continent find difficult to to get a hold of. In the UK, I was able to get some under the radar, send it on, um, and in return, uh, Boris sent me some Dunhill BB nineteen thirty eight. <laughs> baby's bottom. Okay? Yeah. Now in Scotland, we would call it baby's bum. Yep. Yep. Now uh, you can't get it anymore. What 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 is the closest we can get to baby's bum? because it's fantastic it's smooth it's just a mellow smoke you could smoke it all day long and never get tired so for
1: for you and for you in scotland i'll be talking out of my arse on some of this um (laughs) baby's bottom was originally a savory's tobacco company blend that dunhill copied took over and in the transition of companies from, you know, it, it, now that it's under the Peterson brand, uh, some stuff had to be cut. There's a chance that they may bring back that recipe for BB 1938 and they can't call it baby's bottom anymore because that's not politically correct anymore. Um, I really don't know what else, uh, what else is close mm-hmm. to it. Uh, I really don't know what to say, but if it's a, and this is one of the things that I've tried to preach all these years, you know, if you find something that you like, grab a hold of as much as you can, because tobacco is never going to be cheaper than it is now and never going to be more readily available than it is now. So even for, for you in Scotland, a 50 gram tin of tobacco is what, about 22, 24 pounds now.
0: Uh, uh, fifty grams I can get for about fifteen, sixteen pounds. Fifteen,
1: yeah. sixteen pounds converted yeah. to US funny money, so twenty-one, twenty-two dollars for a fifty-gram tin.
0: Yeah, yeah. the 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 good thing is, we still have the tobacco shop in Edinburgh, yeah. which is about thirty miles from me. Um, old old school, the last tobacco shop in Edinburgh, um, that has a lot of the old blends. But uh, yeah, they were. I'd oh, say for we, the rest
1: of the show, we just have Phil talk so that I can hear his accent.
3: And <laughs> Yeah, Phil, you Hi. have another question here in a minute. Um, Phil, you know who might know about a baby's bum is Russell Lett. We, uh, we should send him a, a question about that. This is Internet Radio. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. Brian, I have a question over here from the uh, YouTube group uh david home david by the way while i'm asking your question where are you from uh so that um because uh, brian's interested in where everybody's from and they ask our questions anyway he says in your opinion which american carvers pipes that in other words people who are carving now or making pipes now do you think will be considered collector's items 50 years from now
1: well, let me tell you. The first of all, for those of you who have not heard me before, let me tell you what I think about opinions. Um, <laughs> I'm sitting on one. We're back to we're back to Phil's arse again, um, but I am the leading expert on my own opinion, and you're welcome to it. So here's what I here's what I think. Uh, current American carvers that will be highly collected still, once they are long gone and not making anymore uh i think jt cook because of the way he changed the way we look at sandblasting uh he really changed the way the process of sandblasting happened and he really made it to where a you know a, a a almost artfully carved sandblasted pipe is worth more than a good straight grain um So I think JT Cook, who is still alive and still making pipes and makes, you know, 60, 70 a year. Um, In North America, there are two guys that come to my, come to immediately to the forefront for full-time pipe makers that have long waiting lists and... Are still desirable, and I think those guys will continue forward with collectability. And that's Michael Parks from Canada and Jay Allen, Jeff Grasick. Uh Both of them have established themselves as full-time pipe makers, making top-quality pipes at you know, at the top of their game. Uh, the other thing that a lot of on the on the artisan pipe front. Uh, Jeff's been on my show several times and he's talked about working with Jody Davis and working with Todd Johnson and then going to Denmark and spending time, um, both Michael and Jeff have been very generous with their time in. Talking and coaching and advising other pipe makers. Because they got gifts given to them, so they're giving those gifts forward uh, so their legacy is going to move on because their value is moving on with other pipe makers once they you know, once they retire or quit or whatever um, If Jeff Grasick wins a surfing national championship, I'm pretty sure he's done making pipes and is a forty some odd year old surfer uh, but it's also it's very similar to what happened with uh, two guys in Denmark, Emil Konowitz and Sixton Iverson, both started this school of thought, had others around them, but started to, but traded it forward with their information and had the next generation come on. And you get guys like Jody Davis, Todd Johnson. Uh, that went and studied with Yes Konowitz and Lars Everson and learned what their fathers told them and adapted and, and altered it. So you get that whole pouring forward. Um, but those are the two guys that I... Those are the three guys that I think are going to be... are going to continue to be of collectible value, which I hate to say that. Um, because in reality, I mean, here's a, I, I was smoking this for breakfast, that's a Jay Allen pipe that, you know, yeah, it's, it's not cheap when you buy it the first time, but the amount of pleasure that it gives me, I don't look at it as an investment. I look at it in a, I really love this and it smokes really well.
3: And so Jeff's been a guest on our show and Michael parks is um, we just, I just talked to him over the last couple of days and he's going to be a guest on our show coming up.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah so that's
3: really cool and by the way david says he's from detroit michigan so that that uh that question comes from motor city
1: go red wings um i don't know anything about hockey sorry but we were talking canadians uh, hockey um yeah
3: yeah guys what, what are the questions you have just go ahead and shout it out for brian
1: i mean no subject is off the table so ask whatever you want i've got
0: one if uh if you can hear me okay um, my name's Oliver. I live in Switzerland. Ah. um, are you regretting talking a lot about Disney pipes recently? Is there, has the value gone up since you've talked about them on your show?
1: In, in 2006, when the article came out, I was buying pipes for, I was buying my Disney pipes for 15, 20, $25 each. And then literally when that article came out, they went up to a hundred bucks a piece. And there were some times when I could not afford to buy them. Um, do I regret it? No, I always love sharing the things that I like and sharing knowledge and sharing my passions. Um, I don't, I, I don't regret it at all. I've in the years, in the 14 years since the article came out, I've still had people that have said, "Yeah, I can make more money off of this, but I'd rather you have the pipe for your collection." So people have literally given me pipes for the collection. Um, yeah, no, I, I never regret it. And I love the, I, I actually love the fact that I kind of created a niche of interest and that a lot of people want to have just one good Disney pipe for their collection. Uh, and you know, before that, before the, before the with that and the pipes magazine radio show, those, those may be my only two industry legacy things that I'll leave behind. Um, and when I die, my kids are going to go, what do I do with all these old pipes of dad's? Uh, <laughs> yeah. but don't worry. They've got phone numbers and, and email addresses of what to do when dad's gone. So, uh, But they won't be smoking the pipes because I am such a bad tobacco salesman that I cannot get my son or my daughter to want to smoke a pipe. Um, which means my, pipe, my tobacco collection or tobacco cellar is very safe here. Uh, you were against pipe smoking they'd
3: be all over it right now yeah lowell you've known uh brian for a long time what's one question you don't think he wants us to ask
1: hmm
5: what's what's next in your uh, business future
1: so a lot of you know that i was doing travel i was booking travel for people i tried that for a couple of years that uh I'll, i'll tell you why it flopped really um a lot of my social media and my friends are pipe and cigar smokers. And then Cuba got closed to American travelers. Uh, the Dominican Republic and Mexico started killing people, killing American travelers randomly. And then the Walt Disney Company banned smoking in their parks. And those were the things I was kind of known for. And then we had this little thing called coronavirus come along, which killed all travel. Um, uh, I've got a couple ideas of things, um, but right now, uh, you know, kind of having fun when, you know, I was reading with the travel stuff. I was reading 25, 30 emails a day and doing 10 to 12 hours a week of webinars. And yeah, I was, I was social distancing way before social distancing was cool by watching all these webinars. And some people in the travel business should never get in front of a camera. Uh, they should never do a, an official presentation, but, uh, yeah, I got a couple ideas of, of some stuff that I want to work on. Nothing, nothing firm yet. Nothing that I can, nothing that I can talk about.
3: Okay. <laughs> got another question over here from the YouTube group. Um, Ahmad, who is, uh, he says, hello from the Mediterranean. Ah, um I, I think we can be more specific than that, Ahmad, unless you're right in the middle of the ocean. But <laughs> unless, he says, why do pipe smokers hoard so
1: much? Because we are a nervous group of people that are afraid they're going to take our toys away. <laughs> uh I think uh, so there so there's two there's first of all there's and I've been accused that uh I've been accused of this as and that pipe smoking is a lifestyle, not a hobby. I think there are pipe smokers that smoke because it's a lifestyle. And then I think there are pipe collectors and pipe smokers that are in it because it's a hobby. They're two different people. The pipe smoker to me in the lifestyle is somebody who smokes a pipe three or four times a day, or it's a regular habitual routine. And they've got, you know, five, 10, 12 pipes, and they've got their favorite tobacco and that's what they do. Then there's the collector side of us, which I am an obsessive compulsive collector of whatever I happen to find shiny new and exciting to me at the moment. Um, I will dive head deep into collecting Disney. I had the little Disney collector pins, you know, little tiny ones. I went nuts. I went off the deep end. I would starve myself for weeks just to try to get the right pin. There's a collector mentality and when you get into the you know the type of pipe smokers that we are that want to know more information we want to learn more we want to understand more you know we're not just the ones that want to get the um the the you know the cliff notes version of a book we want to read the book and then learn about the author that wrote it and what he was thinking or she was thinking or going in deeper behind it um we don't want to know just that uh, I like sourdough bread. Um, we, we don't want to know that just sourdough bread is good and I like to eat it. We want to know where the best where my favorite version of it is and why what the secret sauce is behind it, you know. We want to know more. And once we find something that we like, we don't want to be like Phil and not have any more baby's bottom to rub on. We're afraid that we'll that we'll lose our favorite, our, our favorite thing um you know, i've yeah i'm obsessive and i did a math I, I did some math at age 49 i figured out that i wanted to make sure i had enough tobacco to smoke until age 75 so i did the math based off of three to four bowls a day slightly decreasing scale as i got older assuming that i would smoke less and less average three to four bowls a day I came up with 252 pounds and that's how much tobacco I needed to have on hand of all tobacco that I like nothing that nothing that was for taste testing or for trial or maybe on the iffy side well then I sat back and said wait a second I need to do the math on the pipe cleaners because I use two pipe cleaners per bowl one during the bowl while I'm smoking to just keep there to stick in there and clean out and pull out and then if i'm not wearing a headset i have it tucked behind my ear or in an ashtray i need two pipe cleaners the second one is at the end of the bowl where i use it where i dip it in Everclear, and i clean through the draft hole and then i clean the inside of the bowl with it that second one so that's two per bowl so i did some more math (laughs) Three to four bowls a day, 252 yeah, 252 pounds of tobacco converted into grams, because grams is easier to work with. You Europeans and your metric system is so beautiful; it's easier to work with than our cocked-up stones, pounds, ounces, and ounces, and all that weird stuff. Um, <clears throat> I needed 91,000 pipe cleaners to get to 75 to get to age 75. When I stopped buying them in full cases of ten thousand at a time, I had ninety two thousand plus. I'm done buying pipe cleaners. But you laugh, you laugh. Right now, i if something happens and pipe smoking and tobacco becomes more expensive and less people do it, what do you think the odds are that the real cotton six and a half inch pipe cleaners are going to be harder and harder to get? And we're going to be stuck going to Walmart, finding the 3.95 for 24 multicolored fuzzy sticks that are made out of polyester. Well, I got pipe cleaners. Uh, we don't have any food, but, and we could die from a zombie apocalypse of no food, but it won't be because I'm not out of pipe cleaners.
2: You know, that is ironic. It's kind of hilarious, Brian, that you said that because I use the same system I calculated three and a half grams a day. I'm 59. I figured 20 years I wound up with, I've got about 125 pounds of tobacco, about Mm -hmm. about 56, 58,000 grams. I didn't do it for the pipe cleaners, but I do have several grocery bags full of the bristled pipe cleaners and the smooth cotton ones. I don't know
1: how many that is, but I go through them like tissue. Yeah. Um, That's funny. I am not alone in my craziness. There are multiples in this room with me. I used to tell people when I'd show them my closet. I said I am ready for the apocalypse,
2: Mm -hmm. and the apocalypse hit back in March.
1: Yeah, hi from here.
6: Yes, Um, Jürgen is my name, uh, and you're not alone. I have made this math because you mentioned it on on your last visit here, and um, I'm thinking about it because we had a discussion on Facebook here in Germany on some groups that the quality of the pipe cleaner gets less uh, less high in, than it was in the past. So uh, I'm thinking about that, too. Mm-hmm. I have uh, enough tobacco for the rest of my life. That is not a problem for me. I have the same uh, thoughts about that uh, several years ago. And uh, it's uh, all you, you said uh, later. Uh, earlier in the in this talk uh, you can buy the tobacco uh right now as the cheapest point it will always get higher in the future that's for sure
1: yeah yeah and for oliver in switzerland the best the the best pipe cleaners in the world were made in switzerland for a while when yeah. dills was there and uh Boy, if you can ever get a hold of them, those the Big Ben for a while made some incredible pipe cleaners that were made in Switzerland under and sold to Big Ben in in Holland under their name.
6: Yes, and you and you really get them in 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 Germany too. Um, I I don't see them anymore. the the, the white red ones. Yeah, yeah. You only get the faun, the 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 blue white ones, and sometimes you get uh, 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 white greens. And um, from time to time, you, you get um, not a re- really good uh, white cleaners. So it's, it, it's get, uh, you get in trouble if you, think, if you don't think about that. <laughs> so you're absolutely right.
5: Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste, and whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby.
1: And the uh, the Valen Pipe Company is Maiden, Maiden Germany is the only other pipe company under an agreement with Dunhill that is allowed to use the white dot, a single white dot on their stem, and it's a it's a larger yeah. white dot. But they have the the uh, they made an agreement, and it was it's an old agreement that they still honor today.
6: It, it goes back to the 1920s. There was a a legal issue with it in the 20s. I have here some. It's a it's an NCR called and this is a white dot. Yeah. Uh, internationally, it is a gray dot because of that reason. Uh, in Germany, it is a white dot.
4: Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. They used to call it the German Dunhills.
6: Yes. <laughs> or student uh, Dunhills. It's also called yeah. because it's a factory pipe and it's much cheaper than the real Dunhills. And then I have a question about the Dunhill uh brand itself, mm-hmm. because um, it's it's not called anymore Dunhill. If you buy a Dunhill, it's a white spot. What do you think about that politic?
1: <laughs> so that is called Big Cigarette Company. Uh this may na- this may not translate into multiple languages, but we'll call it CYA. Which stands for, and if I use the proper Scottish term, cover your arse. Uh, the cigarette companies, uh, if I remember right, it was, uh, it was British American tobacco that owned the Dunhill name through their acquisition of Rothmans. And they owned the rights to the name of Dunhill on any tobacco product, tobacco-related product tobacco accessory so on and so on uh the clothing line was separated off and it was sold to the richmond group from south africa and that was alfred dunhill and it was all lowercase letters because they couldn't use the uppercase d uh but that was also the that was the lighters and uh, and wallets and men's clothing so probably what happened in BAT's legal room somewhere was somebody at BAT said, you know, we've got this big global citizen campaign, and I don't know this for a fact, but I, I'm pretty sure this is what happened, uh, where we only buy from fair trade tobacco growers with that don't, uh, that the don't use any bad pesticides, don't use any child labor, don't use any unfair labor practices. And we've got this multi-billion dollar business in cigarettes. And then we license this name Dunhill onto these cigars and these pipe tobaccos and all this other stuff. But we don't control the manufacturing of it. We don't know where they're making it. We don't know where they're selling it. All we're doing is we're getting this little licensing fee of, you know, a couple million pounds a year. And somebody in legal probably said, you know, we're only getting a couple million pounds a year of revenue off of this. But this is a huge liability for us. What happens if we find out that the pipe tobacco or the cigars are being made by children that are shackled in chains and never see daylight because they live in a dungeon underground and Indiana Jones has to go in there and save them. Well, this is a big liability for us and we're a big cigarette company. We don't need this, so we're just going to stop this. And they did. Uh, And they told the group that owns the pipe side of it and the accessory side of it that you need to get the name off of there it either needs to be alfred dunhill lowercase or in the pipe part of it they switch to slowly switch to dunhill's white spot then which it was originally it was called dunhill's if you go back in england it was alfred dunhill's and then they just switched it all the way back to the white spot uh and got rid of the name Alfred Dunhill or sometimes they'll refer to it as the White Spot by Alfred Dunhill. But it was just a it was just a legal protection move. Uh and it was a doom and gloom lawyer. And uh it was probably some doom and gloom British lawyer, which I understand they're more doomier and gloomier than American lawyers. Um because they have to wear those funny wigs when they go into talk in court, so they really don't like that. Um, I don't have anything that, you know, I can tell you right now, the pipe tobaccos are the same ones that have been made since 2006. It's the same exact tobacco products. The only changes that are now, is it says, Peterson on the label instead. And now the Scandinavian tobacco group owns the license completely and can do what they want with the trade names of the blends they can bring back things like BB-1938 whenever they want, or they can bring back Dunhill-965. That was my mixture 965. Well, there's 964 my mixtures before that in the list, and there's a couple thousand afterwards. So they could go back and pull up any of these my mixtures that they have the formulas for and introduce them globally. Um, I don't know how it would work here in the U.S. with the FDA right now, but globally, you could in uh, in Scotland you could have i don't know 3000 different my mixtures on a shelf and nobody would buy them because they yeah you know, there's there's not that there's not that many pipe smokers in Scotland anymore
3: um Brian I got a, got a couple for you here yeah uh, first um, I wanted to ask one one of our regular members is is not here today he's usually here every every Saturday and that's Dimitri uh, Dimitri's up in New York um and uh has been a um a devoted fan of of nat sherman's and i thought i would ask you what your thoughts are on the closing of nat sherman's and then what they're doing with their licensing
1: well dear dimitri you can thank your uncle philip morris for screwing the pooch on that one um uh philip morris bought the nat sherman company Thinking that they were going to take the Nat Sherman cigarettes, the natural Nat Sherman cigarettes, and go after American Spirit cigarettes and get some of that marketplace. And American Spirit is the only cigarette brand that was, uh, well, I don't know the numbers in the last two years, but I know from 2000, from the year 2000 up to 2017 they were getting double-digit increases per year in volume on American Spirit. Um, American Spirit went from a company that was sold for about $275 million in 2001 or two to a company where the European rights or the international rights were sold to Japan Tobacco for $5 billion alone, and that didn't include the U.S., So, uh, Altria better known as Philip Morris, uh, wanted some of that natural business and they thought they'd buy Nat Sherman for it and they just didn't know what they were doing with it. Uh, and then they realized that they were, they probably made a business decision that said, you know, we'll focus on the jewels and the non combustible tobacco products. Uh, the heat not burn, the tobacco lozenges or the nicotine lozenges'll we'll we focus on that instead of a natural premium product and just let Reynolds American have that natural scent, that natural business. Um, unfortunately, the Nat Sherman townhouse and the Nat Sherman cigar line and then the Nat Sherman pipe tobaccos became a casualty of that fallout. Uh, and this is a perfect example of what I've described a couple of times: is when the when the anti-smokers come after uh, come after tobacco, all they see is uh, they see those packs of Mickey Mouse cigarettes, and they think, "Oh, we got to keep kids away from cigarettes." In the in the world of big game hunting, if you think of cigarettes as the elephant that the hunter that the anti's are trying to kill. Uh, The cigarette business is that, is the elephant. On top of the elephant, there's always a mouse riding around, right? The cute little mouse up on top, hanging out there. That that mouse is the premium cigar business, and maybe the, the, the chewing tobacco business can go in with the elephant. But on that mouse, there's a flea, and that flea is the pipe tobacco industry the big game hunter when they're trying to kill the elephant doesn't even know that there's a mouse on top let alone a flea on the mouse and when the elephant die, falls and crushes the mouse the flea gets killed there and they don't even know it so that's what happened with the with the nat sherman townhouse somebody at at, at altria or philip morris said why do we have this retail business and why do we have this brand that we're not doing anything with that's just you know, not going to go anywhere. Let's just kill it and not let anybody else take the brand name. And we'll just focus on this other product. And it's really, it's really sad that the, the business came to that. Um, I don't even think they offered it for sale to anybody. They didn't offer the trade name for sale to anybody. Cause I might've heard about that, but they didn't offer the Nat Sherman name for the premium cigars. And the pipe tobacco was good. It wasn't anything to write home about. It was blends that were made for them. Uh, yeah, but the a, brand has got to be worth some money. Um, <laughs>
3: we have a couple other questions I promised I would I would yeah. pass along. Um, first of all, uh, Simon from uh, UK, uh, London, calling. Uh, Simon's on the um, on YouTube over there. I'm so t- tickled that you're watching. Um, by the way, Simon, happy new year. Um. And he said, and he asked basically the same question. They own the blend names. Uh, can't they just license them? And, um, yeah. I would imagine that could, if, if somebody recognized the value there.
1: Uh, so the same with Nat Sherman and with Dunhill, um, any of the manufacturers that actually made the product for those companies. Could come out with product under maybe the similar trade names. You know, you never know. Um, but they can't use the same exact name. So you can't use, you know, if, if uh, you can't use nightcap anywhere because somebody will sue you for it. So don't, use, so don't do that. So then you have what Esoterica did, which is, and so to bed. Uh, the Esoterica line of tobaccos, if you look at them, they're surprisingly similar in in scope to what the Dunhill tobacco line was, 30 years ago. Um, you know, and some of the names are pretty darn close. Um, yeah, uh, Tilbury's a very good kind of Elizabethan ye old sign style. Um, so you can duplicate stuff, or try to attempt to comp You know. Uh, compliment it and come out with it um there was a uh, uh mcclellan did one called orient 966 guess what it was supposed to be like i don't know, maybe a 965 yeah um you can yeah there's stuff like that's happened all the time uh, I'm, uh
3: from um from by the way he's not just swimming in the middle of the mediterranean he's he's in alexandria ah. um he, asked a specific question about your opinion, (laughs) what you're sitting on there, about a couple of different tobaccos themselves. He said, what are your thoughts on Three Nuns uh, versus... Let me see if I can find um, another question. Well, what do you think about Three Nuns? That's that's his main question. He
1: loves it. So it depends on the version. Uh, Three Nuns originally was a uh, in fact it goes back to Scotland um, because the Scottish are interested in nuns apparently um, oh. but, but it was uh <laughs> it was a regional blend in Scotland from what I understand uh, but it <laughs> but it was very periky. and the new ones when uh when it moved around and changed names or changed hands a couple of times somewhere somebody left the perik out of it when I was with Sutliff McBaron and we had the that three nuns version that didn't have the Parik in it, I was not a fan of it. I like Parik. I'm sorry. To me, there is blends with Parik, and then there's all that other stuff. Um and I and I smoke maybe uh maybe five or six tins, you know, fifty gram tins a year of straight Virginias. The rest of it is virginia Parique, or as i call it perique blends with something else in it so that i can you know light it um i need perique i love it it reminds me i of have home. a question um, but yeah that that the newer three nuns is good stuff i really like it with about two years of age on it but that's the short answer steven come on in there buddy
5: yeah i have a question about since you love perique mm-hmm. have you ever had bayou morning yes uh do you like that
1: I did a review of Bayou Morning and Bayou Morning Flake and compared the two of them. Um, I did. I do like it. I it left me personally for me. I can. When I do the blend reviews, I try to figure out what the tobacco is going to taste like for you. And if you like this, you'll like this. Or if you're thinking about this, it will make you feel like that. I don't. I don't try to put my personal thing into it i know that if i'm sitting there smoking it and all of a sudden i'm on smokingpipes.com ordering 10 tins of it then i like it i did not order 10 tins of bayou morning or bayou morning flake did you find a big difference between the two i'd really have to go back and remember <laughs> mm. <laughs> i i don't i'm also uh, but i'm also uh, i'm the oddity in the crowd again because i don't like flakes um, flake tobaccos to me are like fajitas or Ikea furniture. Um, you have to do work before you get to do anything with it. I would much rather the tobacco blender do the rest of the work and just bring it to me. You know, if they could pack my bowl the way I liked, I'd be even happier um but when i go to a mexican restaurant i don't want fajitas because then you got to take the meat and the tortilla and the this and the that and put it together you know what there's people that do that way better than me just bring me a taco and, and shut, you know, <laughs> shut up
5: uh, I'm like, yeah. Cigarette. yeah
1: yeah just give me the cigarette uh, and leave me alone i'm happy yeah. um no but uh so, you know i no, also brian
0: brian is is flake and and rubbing your own tobacco is that no part of the ritual
1: for those of you that like that ritual yes <laughs>
3: simon is called the philistine for your hatred of uh, flake i just want to pass that along so that you know. <laughs>
1: simon i am a philistine for hate for many more things than that and that is way down the list of uh, what, what would that be philistinatic things um yeah i don't like ikea yeah. does that put me back on the list of good people uh,
0: yeah. I meant to ask you like a couple of questions in regards to what are your favorite uh, vapors.
5: Yeah.
0: I was going to mention actually either a Beacon or Extra Beacon. Mm-hmm. But now that you say about the flakes, probably those are not on your favorite top three. Um, which ones are your McClellan favorite vapors or any other brand that you had? Like Cat or...
1: Yeah, so McClellan favorites, uh, Beacon, all the, and then the Beacon Extra. Uh, Saint James Woods, Saint James Woods. Now that it's you know, now that it's cooling down here in the northern hemisphere, uh, Saint James Woods will be my bedtime for about uh, you know the last bowl of the evening for most of the winter time. Uh, same thing with Beacon Extra; it's got that punch that I like. The regular Beacon pairs up fairly well with my Acadian Ribbon. Yeah, as far as strength goes. Mm-hmm. Um non McClellan, the 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 three nuns with Parik you can't go wrong with um escudo still. But again, the three nuns and the escudo, I like to give it about two years of sitting in the can before I really want to start playing with it. Um, it's un it's really unfair for me to compare fresh escudo to 15 year old mcclellan or 15 year old escudo um you know it's just not it's not fair that's you know that's not it's a it's like when you're drinking wine you know a 12 year old french bordeaux versus last week's boone's farm is not a you know you can't compare the yeah you can't compare a 12 year old versus a a a recent one yeah or a scottish i i i'll Boy, I'll put myself on the Philistine list. I don't like single malt scotches. Sorry. <laughs> um, if I'm going to drink a whiskey, I like Irish whiskeys or uh, simple bourbons. But single malt, single malt scotch, you give that to me, that's like putting racing fuel in a Ford Pinto. It just doesn't work. Uh, but going back to the, the other Virginia Periques, yeah, I've... I've yet to try them, and I've got to, but I understand some of the... I, I've got some friends that I really respect that really like the HU tobaccos, that really like some of their some of the Virginia Periques that
0: he's doing. So, I, If you like the three nines, I really recommend you the Wessex Sovereign. Uh,
1: yes, yeah, so I'm dabbling around and trying to find some other stuff. I, I also got gifted a whole pile of... When I mean a whole pile, I mean 18 tins of assorted stuff that had been opened and one bowl had been smoked out of it by a friend of mine who's somewhat crazier than I am, <coughs> which is hard to imagine that there's somebody crazier than I am. And, there's some, and the other thing is that I have a friend, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I inherited some tobacco that will be fun to play with and that listeners of the radio show will hear future discussions about. Hey, Brian. My
5: name is Brian. I live out in Orange County. It's not too far from, from Disneyland. and uh, uh, I have a Disney-related Disney, Disney related question for you. Yeah, Do you know to what degree the Disney Archives has preserved any history around you know, pipes or tobacco or anything like that?
2: Or is it one of those things where they're kind of disavowing it or we should expect that they're going to purge the archives of that to sort of erase the memory?
1: No, the Disney Archives has the good and the bad in it. Um, they have the bad and they hide it. Uh, I do know cause I was working every angle possible that I wanted a Disney, I wanted a Walt Disney world smoking area, designated smoking area sign. I wanted one. I know all of the places to look for them online. I know all the people that tend to buy all the old props and stuff and old shop signs and stuff. And I know a couple of people that work there. Um, all those signs went to the archives. All of those signs went to the archives, and I was like, "You son!" You know. And then my wife was there, like, "Yes, I'm not. I'm not going to have to deal with one of those big stupid things in my house." Um, one of my regrets from uh, uh, from times when I didn't have enough money, and thankfully for my wife. Uh, the uh the tobacco sign from the old market house at Walt Disney World went up for sale on eBay, and it was uh, six feet long, three feet high, and weighed about seventy five pounds because it was on plywood, hand painted and shaped. And uh, I was bidding on it on eBay, and it went for like way over a thousand dollars. And at that time, way over a thousand dollars, she would have she would have not d- divorced me. She would have drawn and quartered me and dissected me and then put me through the food processor and made a shake out of me and spit me out. Had I spent and that.
0: And, and no sex for a while. Oh, that, yeah, no,
1: that, well, Sounds like a keeper. that's a standard marriage, right?
3: Um, <laughs> yeah. WKR Piper in Cincinnati over there on YouTube says, uh, he's, he's asking about um, your opinion um about McBaren he says he he's a, one of his favorite tobaccos he said, what do you think of their McBaren as a whole and their position in the world of tobacco
1: McBaren as a whole first of all i used to work for them second of all i think everybody there is absolutely wonderful i really did not meet anybody at McBaren in Denmark that was not a person that i would want to uh well, we were back there a year ago, and I went and visited the office and wanted to give everybody a hug. Um, that's the type of people they are. Um, McBaron as a whole has one very important person, and his name is Henrik Hallberg. So when you see the HH on the, on the HH line, those are his initials, Henrik Hallberg. He is the um, third Hallberg to own the company, so third generation or fourth generation. Um, But Henrik is a tobacco fanatic. He loves tobacco. And he is not the chairman of the board of the company. He's not the president of the company. He owns the company, and he's the primary leaf buyer for the company. He goes on the leaf buying trips himself and loves it. That is an incredibly valuable asset that only Cornell and Deal has in the tobacco world right now that I know of. Uh, You know, they they really, when you look at it, a tobacco company is only as good as the base product coming in. And when you have Henrik Hallberg, who is willing to go out and find, uh, like the HH Old Dark Fired, that was a batch of Dark Fired Kentucky leaf that was found here in the United States that he said... Okay, yeah, so I'll buy it all. How much do you have? Um, and because he doesn't have to answer to a board of directors and stockholders that need quarterly reports, and he's got a warehouse. Uh, funny story about Henrik. He, in the town where they are in Svenborg, Denmark, uh, he was having international guests coming to the, coming to the town, and he didn't like the way the two hotels were treating his guests, so he bought them. And bought the hotels and said, you know what, now they'll treat him the way I want. Um, when you get a guy that is willing to go and say, you know what, I'll buy 30 years of this crop of tobacco because it's really special. That adds a whole different level of dimension to the company. Um, now, he's also very smart that he has money people that run the business and make sure that he doesn't go crazy. Uh, but he's also, again, he's a guy that, you know, we, we ran into him at the hotel. We were staying at the hotel that he owns while we were there. He was, there with some whining and dining, some people, he came out to the smoking area to have a smoke with one of the guys. I walked over and said, hi, Henrik. Remember me? And yeah. Oh yeah. How are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told him we were there for the wedding. We shook hands, gave a hug. And then we went back to doing what we were doing. Sixth or seventh richest guy in Denmark, maybe eighth. Don't know. Um, but because of Henrik, they have the ability to do that. When he dies, I don't know. He didn't have any children. Um, I don't know what the next step is for the company. But Henrik Hallberg. And then you have people like Perry Jensen, who was born in a briar pipe factory. I mean, his parents owned the, in the, the George Jensen pipe factory, and he was born upstairs above it. So you don't find too many people who I think pair is now 61 or 62 years old and he's been in the business. He was conceived in the business. So if you count, you know, (laughs) nine months in the womb, yeah, he's got 63 years in the business and 62 years out of the womb. Brian,
2: this is Todd again out in the Silicon Valley. Um, And I always say Silicon Valley because I think I and Chris Morgan are the only two pipe smokers in this valley, but um, we're. (laughs) We're marked for, they can shoot us on site, but there's a great YouTube video on McBaron where, uh, they're, they're talking about their values and, and, and how they do business and how they're not, you know, they don't answer to stockholders or, you know, they're not corporate. It's, it's fantastic. And it just, it just bleeds right through in that video.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really does. Um, if he wants to go off the deep end and try some new tobacco product tobacco launch there is yeah there's a couple people that might try to talk him out of it um he bought an icebreaker a a uh, a an arctic exploring caliber leftover norwegian military icebreaker and he bought it for less than the value of the scrap metal of it but he bought it just so that he could bring it and park it in his harbor in svenborg and here's this 12 story high icebreaker just sitting there running with the engines just so that he can go down there and say, that's my icebreaker. Um, he's eccentric and beautiful all at the same time. And, you know, really is not afraid to spend money on tobacco.
4: Brian, this is Aaron. I'm calling or I'm joining y'all from Japan. Um, oh, Konichiwa
1: very... Aaron-san.
4: It's Ohio. Gozaima. Oh, so like, that's yeah. Sorry. Your, your wife was, <laughs> you up at 5 30 this morning you got me up at 3 a.m this morning so okay good (laughs) uh, and it's a pleasure so thanks for joining us this morning um i was wondering do you have any um information what's it look like for um the chicago pipe show for next year it looks like the tokyo pipe show in december is actually a go um so we're kind of looking forward to that but i was just wondering do you have any um idea uh chicago Pipe. you know like there's all the different issues with the chicago pipe show finding a location like um do you have any
1: no they have the they have the location secured they have the same dates um in reality a lot of it's going to depend on what happens uh coronavirus wise right okay that's that's really the the club has really done a great job finding Finding a new location, the difference will be that there will be no, I mean, literally no smoking allowed in the hotel. Um, So room hopping and hospitality suites may be a thing of the past.
4: Um, I I wanted to say thank you for um, the pipe show. I always can judge every weekend I grow rice out here in the countryside in Tokyo or outside of Tokyo. So I can always judge traffic by the, the length of the pipe show whether I get to my destination by the time uh, <laughs> Rails starts playing or not. Um, maybe I don't know um, if you have a good idea. I'm uh, I've been making pipes for about a year or two. Maybe this is a better question for Jeff or ask the pipe maker. But like in terms of pricing pipes as a new pipe maker, uh, do you have any suggestions?
1: Yeah, I have, a, I have a couple of great suggestions. One, don't sell your first 10 or 15. Give them to people that you trust and respect and let them try them. And, and give them in exchange for honest feedback. Right. Um, and then pricing on the next, you know, after you've done that 10, 15 times and you've tweaked and modified stuff. I think you ought to start out at really the price of the materials and how much is it going to cost you to replace the materials. Okay. And how much money do you need to make really to start expanding your tools? So look at it that way. Um a lot of things that uh, a lot of the stuff that hurt some of the wave of new American pipe makers or the new artisan pipe makers was they pushed their prices too fast, too furious and they didn't have the Quality or the credentials to really do that, and you know, I uh, uh there's several. Uh, um, I'll, I'll show you that this is one of my favorites since you're in Japan. Uh, this is one of my favorite Smeo Sato pipes, nice. And I didn't under you know, Sato spent uh, thirty-five or forty years working first under his father and then on, and then at Sugay, and then broke off on his own. And this pipe ten years ago retailed for seven hundred dollars. Now I think it would be twelve or thirteen hundred. So how does somebody that has only made pipes for three, four, five years justify charging seven, or, you know, five to seven hundred dollars for a pipe when you've got a guy that's been making pipes? you know for 45 years and he's only justifying charging $1200 um you know there's a there's a certain amount of experience that went into the making this pipe and younger pipe smoke younger pipe makers don't have that experience yet right. um, it's also from a business standpoint for any new pipe maker i think i feel and this is my opinion and you know what this one's not out of left field Um, It's a whole lot easier to sell a pipe for $150 to $250 than it is to sell a pipe for $500 to $700. There's a whole lot more customers down there. Those customers don't expect as much of a high-touch sales. Uh, They don't expect as many little details to be perfect. If you do a good handmade pipe in the $200 range, then you're you're competing with Peterson and you're competing with... uh, You know, with Savinelli in that price range, well, you know, as a handmade artisan, it's not hard to
5: beat Peterson or Savinelli at that game. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D. As a crew of folks who just love tobacco, it's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold.
1: This is Internet Radio. And you are back with just me, huh? What'd you think of that? It was a lot of fun. Anyway, the virtual pipe club, you can uh, catch the the meetings are at 2 p.m. Eastern Time in the United States on Saturdays, and uh, you can just stop by and lurk and listen, or you can stop by and participate uh, on YouTube, Facebook Live, I think, and on Zoom. So do check them out, and uh, thanks to David, Dory and Ross for having me on. You've got freaking mail. And in the mailbag, if you have a comment or question, post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page or email me directly, brian, B-R-I-A-N, at pipesmagazine.com. And going back to last week's show with uh, Gina Rood, Dino says, a very funny and fun conversation with Gina. It's always nice to catch up with a returning guest. Her song was outstanding. Loved it. Your rant. Amen. Thanks, Dino. So apparently we did good for Dino this week, last week. And then Casey Ghost says, don't care for the Peterson flake much, but then I don't like most tobaccos. Uh, that's my loss, of course. Gina was a fun guest with a nice sense of humor. The song wasn't bad. Yeah, it was fun to catch up with her. All right. Uh, and again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. And in just a moment, Rant time. So, as many of you know, last week we went to Las Vegas and we stayed at the Venetian Hotel, a place I had stayed many times for the uh, for the trade shows, but had never stayed there for vacation and never really got a chance to enjoy the rooms. Let me get the good parts out of the way real quick. The good part is, one, they are doing a really good job of keeping the place clean and keeping it safe. So, very good job on that. Thank you very much. Uh, good job on enforcing the mask policy inside so, Bravo to the Venetian for that. Uh, now bad side, the rooms are great. However, the only smoking rooms that they had were in another building that was not open yet, so I couldn't get a smoking room. So that slowed down my pipe and my pipe enjoyment a little bit. Uh, bad part number two, because of, uh, you know, the world situation going on. Two of the places that I would have gone to sit and enjoy my pipe were not open, and the third one that I really liked at the Venetian Palazzo has been turned into a disco nightclub thing of some sort, and they screwed the pooch on that one. Um, Anyway, so now here's the real problem, though. I could walk around in the casino with my mask down and my pipe in my mouth all I wanted and never heard a complaint because... You are supposed to have a mask on unless you are actively drinking or smoking. Well, you put a pipe in your mouth, you're actively smoking. To further complicate things and make things even stupider, the pool deck area is 100% smoke-free, so they wanted me to go down into the casino. That's right, go from an outside place that was spread out... To an inside place that was cramped, and I told them that sounded a little stupid. Why don't you just make smoking areas over here and you know little corners or whatever? I'll sit here and smoke my pipe. Now nah, that couldn't happen, no. So just a little bit on the stupid side, and trust me, I let them know. Um, I will tell you that I did find a couple of really nice spots, and the weather was perfect, so I could sit out overlooking the front of the Venetian Hotel on the Las Vegas Strip and smoke a pipe, drink some water, coffee, whatever it was, and. But no place to sit. So, anyway, there you go. There's there's a little bit of a, an, uh, of a uh, congratulatory rant. I'm um, glad to be back home getting rested up. And we will be home for a while now. So, uh, I hope you all enjoyed the virtual Pipe Club visit. Thank you again to David Dorian for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully, I'll get to go back on again. And it, literally, if you guys get a chance, go... Pop in. Pop in and listen 2 p.m. Eastern Time, United States, on Saturdays. And remember, brand new episodes of the Pipes Magazine radio show come out every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Please make sure and share it with your friends. Uh, Post it in your forums. Tweet about it. Do whatever it is you do. And just uh, keep doing it. And I'll keep doing it. So... Uh, Once again, thank you to all the virtual Pipe Club members for their questions and for putting up with me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next
4: time. He's fine.
2: Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just Ah. sing a song and think about sunny
4: weather. Happy. Bum 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 ah. bum